And uh, so here we are, why we believe the Bible. We're on Lesson 7, and today we're going to talk about the books of the Old Testament. And we're going to dig in. Now, we've mentioned that the Bible is a collection of books with a united message. We've talked about that many times. Uh, it is a library of books. 66 books, but it's one book. There's a miraculous cohesiveness to the message that spans thousands of years. Every one of these books has a story. Every one of them has its own theme. Um, And yet, each of these books, all 66 of them, have a connecting theme. The connecting theme of every single one of these books is Jesus. Jesus is the theme. He's the theme of the entire Bible. All 1,189 chapters and 31,373 verses are ultimately, ultimately about Jesus Christ and what he came to do. Actually, Jesus ex- uh, explained the connecting theme to some disciples after his resurrection on the road to Emmaus. Here's what he said in Luke 24, 27. He said, it, it says, at beginning, and beginning at Moses, or the books of Moses, Genesis through Deuteronomy, and all the prophets, He expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Every book of the Old Testament, uh, whether it's Moses, the story of the Exodus, uh, or it's about its creation, no matter where you look in the Bible, you're going to find something about Jesus. He's on every page. Now, this is our library. And as you open each book, how the Bible works is that gradually piece by piece, if somebody was to start at the beginning and just begin opening up the books of the Bible, piece by piece, it begins to reveal God's plan uh, for mankind and really God's plan to save mankind through Jesus. The Old Testament gives glimpses of it all over the place, but the New Testament reveals it much more clearly. Now, some call this as this weaving of uh, the... The plan of salvation through the entire Bible, some call it the scarlet thread of redemption. Uh, One pastor made that uh, kind of a popular term. Now, that that is a reference to the piece of thread that Rahab in the Old Testament hung outside her door uh, as basically her, they were going to come in and and, uh, destroy Jericho, but she put that scarlet thread up saying, I believe by faith, in God's method of salvation. God's method of salvation was, if you hang a scarlet thread, you're going to be saved. And so she believed in that method of salvation, and she was saved. But you see those little glimpses of what Jesus came to do all throughout the entire Bible. A method of salvation that's revealed as the Bible unfolds more and more. Now today, what we're going to do is, we're going to take a journey through the Old Testament, and I'm just going to hit the highlights of each book of the Old Testament. We're going to try to do this. Um, I'm, I'm going to go quickly. And for some, at times, it might seem a little tedious, okay? But, but tedious is not a bad thing. Uh, I just want to point that out. Digging into the details uh, helps us actually get more, helps us get more out of the Bible. Uh, you know, people talk about, you know, sp- who wants to look at a spreadsheet? Uh, some people love spreadsheets, first of all, those detailed people. But spreadsheets, we need spreadsheets. <laughs> they, they make the world go round, really. 
But the details, the little details of the Word of God are so powerful and it brings to life so much of the Word. And I also think that by going through this this morning, the whole Old Testament in one lesson, real fast, I think it's going to kind of give us a, a new appreciation for the unity of the Word of God. And this, this is a miraculous book. And so I've, uh, I was a little skeptical, skeptical to attempt doing this, but I think, I think there's going to be something uh, that, that unfolds out of this just in your heart and mind as we just roll through this, all right? If you've been a Bible student for many years, I just want to say this. A lot of this might be review, but stay with me because I think you're going to hear something fresh and, a neat, uh, and something good here along the way. But if you're a newer Bible student, I also want to say this. I think this is going to help you piece this whole Bible together. A lot of people, they read here, they read here, not sure where to read in the Bible. They just kind of open it up, not sure what to do. This is going to kind of help set the stage for the organization of, of God's Word. Now, real quick, the Bible is not in chronological order. The books of the Bible. It's, it's in thematic order. It's by theme. Actually, the order was arranged when the Old Testament was translated from Hebrew into Greek, the Septuagint, this order that we have now. It would actually be very difficult to place the Bible in exact chronological order. Somebody has actually tried to do that, and I bought the Bible. It's called the Reese Chronological Bible. It's one of them. It's interesting because you have the books all mi- mixed in. The prophets are mixed in with the kings. and all. I mean, it's, just, it's, it's hard to read and hard to follow. And um, so... They thought, some of the people that put this thing together thought it might be good to lay it out in theme order. And so that's what we have. One, one more thing. When you sit and read the Bible, I think we need to ask the question almost every single time, and that is, what am I learning about God from this passage? What am I learning about God from this passage? And so in this, I've put on here on our notes something about God from every book of the Bible that we could learn. So I've included that observation on the, as well as how we see Jesus in every book of the Old Testament. That's in your notes there. So the Bible begins at the beginning. And, that, and, that's, and that's classified. The first section is the books of the law. Let's start. The God Genesis, the God of promise. The theme there is the beginnings. Describes creation, man's sin, and the flood. By the way, right away, right away in the Bible, we begin to see that sin leads to death. This is the theme of the Bible. Sin leads to death, but Jesus came to save. And so sin leads to death, and what do you see immediately with Adam and Eve? An animal was killed, blood was spilled, so that, the, so that they could have a, a covering for the, their nakedness. The nakedness and shame of Adam and Eve was covered by the blood of an animal. Already, you see, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. That is the theme of the Bible. Gives the call of Abraham here in Genesis, which is the beginning of a new family that would bless the world. You know, the Bible is really God's message to the world that he gave through the Jewish people. This is extremely important. Uh, the Jewish people, the Jews, are a megaphone. Israel is a megaphone to the entire world. And that's what you see unfold in the Old Testament. Um, Genesis spans... I want everybody to know this. Genesis spans a longer period of time than all of the rest of the Bible put together. It's an amazing book. Begins at creation, ends at the family of Jacob living in Egypt, which is about 1800 in 1800 BC. By the way, if you want a helpful way of knowing ancient history like that, if I, this might help you. It's how I do it in my head. I picture the Old Testament timeline like this. Adam was 4000 BC. And then you fast forward 2,000 years and you have Abraham. So I kind of go by the men in the Bible, the big 
big names in the Bible. So Adam, then you have Abraham. And then from Abraham to the end of the Old Testament, it's about every 500 years approximately. So Abraham is 2000 BC. Moses is 1500 BC. David is 1000 BC. And then you end the Old Testament at around 500, 400 BC, okay? I don't know if that helps anybody, but it helps me a lot. Here's where we see the Savior in a Genesis, and that is that Jesus is the promised seed of a woman. Jesus is the promise. That's a reference to the prophecy in Genesis there that the seed of a woman would come and crush Satan. The seed of a woman. All right, Genesis. We're going to go quickly. Theme is deliverance. Exodus means a way out. The history of God using Moses to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. There's the giving of the law, the detailed instructions of the tabernacle, the priesthood. That again, we see that scarlet thread of redemption in the tabernacle and in the priesthood. It's the place for sins to be covered by a blood sacrifice. Life is in the blood, the Bible tells us. And there's a blood requirement for sin. That's, the, that's what you see all the way at the beginning. Lamb, a lamb's sacrifice was required for the payment for sins. And this just contains several pictures of Christ's payment for sins. Jesus is the Passover lamb. Then Leviticus. The theme is instruction. It's the details of the ceremonial law. It deals primarily with Aaron and his sons and the appointed priests of Israel. It, it includes priestly consecration, an example of judgment on those who take God lightly. There was two priests, Nadab and Abihu, who were struck dead for not allowing, uh, for uh, not following, excuse me, God's instructions and uh, concerning fire on the altar. And the message of Leviticus really is that God is 100% pure and He is 100% holy. And ends with regulations about property dedicated to God. And it, it tells us that Jesus is the great high priest. Numbers is a God of perseverance, we see. You know, Numbers actually receives its name from a census that was taken of Israel. It contains the history of Israel's 40-year wandering in the wilderness. Numbers is an exciting book, actually. It doesn't sound like it would be. Numbers? No, thank you. Uh, actually, it's a great, uh, great uh, history book. And um, it's exciting of all the incredible stories and how God deals with his people. By the way, again, when you read Numbers, we need to say, God, how do you deal with people? What is your, what is your primary way that you, uh, how do you interact with disobedient people, with obedient people? Um, we see a lot about how God deals with people. How do you lead uh, people? Give them wisdom, help. Anyway, Jesus is the cloud and the fire in the book of Numbers. Deuteronomy, the theme is obedience. It's, it's Moses giving sermons. T- contains three sermons, actually. A blessing and a song by him. It's the law rehearsed over and over again. At the end, Moses appoints Joshua. And we see here that Jesus is the prophet like unto Moses. Then we have the books of history that come next, they call it. Now, this next section covers a, a period of about 1,000 years. 1447 B.C. to 432 B.C. Starts with them, Israelites moving into the promised land and ends with the divided kingdom of Israel and Judah. Joshua is, this, is uh, the story of God being the God of the land. He is, they, there's a great conquest of the promised land, the land known as Canaan. They enter the promised land. It's, and again, as the Israelites enter the promised land, it's not a picture of us going to heaven. It's a picture of a believer uh, who is living the victorious Christian life. There was work involved, and there's no work involved getting to heaven. There is work involved in fighting the enemy and getting into that land. 
So their first victory as they moved into the land was a victory over Jericho. But at Joshua's death, the majority of the land by that time was possessed, and then, but there still had to be more conquering done. We see, we see in the book of Joshua that Jesus is the commander of the Lord's army. In the book of Judges, it's a lot about rebellion. It starts with Joshua, ends with Samson. Judges uh, were more like generals of our day. Um, there's this cycle of disobedience you see in Judges. I always get depressed when I'm about to read through the book of Judges, honestly. I, I, I open it up, I'm like, okay, Lord, I'm going to do this because I know you want me to read this book, but this is a discouraging book. It's encouraging because I see His great mercy and His, His deliverance, but then I see so many cycles of sin and disobedience and people just uh, hurting the heart of God, and it just makes me, makes me hurt. Um, but overall, the whole, and that's the sad part of the book of Judges, it really shows that Israel has digressed in their relationship with God. These are very dark days for God's people. And yet you see God's mercy in there. I want to remember that for America. Jesus is our judge and our lawgiver. The book of Ruth is a beautiful story of redemption that actually takes place in the book, or during the times of the Judges. And it's the story of the great ancestors of the royal family of Judah, Ruth, a Gentile, marries Boaz, a Jew, and, and uh, they, they both become ancestors of David and, and Jesus, of course. Really, really, Ruth is a book about the grace of God through a remnant. And, I, and that, is the, that, that is the gem that shines in the book throughout the times of the Judges, that even in the darkest days, God has not forgot, forgotten His promise to redeem mankind. In, in the darkest days of America, God has not, not stopped saving people. Uh, he still saves every heart. Jesus, we know through the book of Judges that he is, or the book of Ruth that he is our kinsman redeemer. First Samuel is an amazing book. It's, it's we God of the heart is a theme there. It concludes the period of the Judges. Samuel comes on the scene, but also describes the beginning of the monarchy in in, in Israel with Saul. Uh, Saul was a man who was humble at first and then allowed power to corrupt him, and he disobeyed God. His life ended with defeat on the battlefield. A sad, sad state uh, for King Saul. So much potential. But Jesus, we see, is the prophet, the priest, and the king in the book of 1 Samuel. That's, that's what unfolds as you read it. 2 Samuel, we see the God of the throne. There's a unifying time there. The, David comes to be the king. He's a great military leader and a godly man. He defeated Israel's enemies. He enlarged the kingdom. But later, even David himself fell into immorality with Bathsheba. That brought great consequences on his life. However, God is still preserving the seed of David uh, for the great and coming king. And, and, And God still used David in a mighty way, even after that great sin. 1 Chronicles parallels 2 Samuel. By the way, and uh, we, we see that the Jesus is the seed of David. First Kings, he, we see that God is the God of Israel. There was, God disrupts them. And uh, there begin, we begin to see that after David's death, Solomon comes. And after Solomon, because of his sin, Israel and Israel is split. And it's really a judgment on Solomon for following the gods of his many pagan wives. But we see there, and we can read and see Jesus on every page there, that Jesus is a ruler that's greater than Solomon. The Bible talks about him being greater than Solomon. Second Kings talks about the God of Israel. 
and there's a dispersion that happens. Unfortunately, the disobedience of the nation had gotten so bad that eventually Assyria carries the northern tribes away in 722 B.C., and Babylon comes and takes away the southern tribes in 586 B.C. First and Second Kings, I want you to know this, First and Second Kings are history written from a prophetic perspective. And uh, as we'll see in a minute, the uh, Second Chronicles is written more from a priestly perspective. But Jesus we see here in, these, in this book is, is the powerful prophet. Israel's spiritual history we see in, uh, also in First Chronicles. It's the, the official history actually for the Jewish people of the kingdoms of Israel and Judah. And Jesus is the son of David coming to rule. Israel's spiritual history in Second Chronicles. It's, again, this is written from a priestly perspective. And by the way, I want to give you a little note on 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles. They all come together there. They tell that history of Israel as a nation. Uh, but the reason these were divided into 1st and 2nd is because uh, the whole they were first originally written as one whole book. Like Samuel would be one book, Kings would be one book, Chronicles would be one book. But because they were too large to fit on a scroll... <laughs> they divided them up into first and second. So now we just stick with the first and second thing. So uh, that's really the reason it's, it's that way. Jesus, though, we see uh, through all of this, and really in Second Chronicles as well, that Jesus is the king who reigns eternally. So we've taken Israel all the way through their kingdom, and now they're, they've been carried away captive. And the book of Ezra begins to tell the story of the end of the captivity when they're restored. They leave Babylonian captivity. They, they start to rebuild the temple. Now, the book of Ezra, when you read Ezra, who was a scribe, you read it, there's a break in the middle of Ezra for about 58 years. The first, first half deals with the return under Governor Zerubbabel, and then the second half covers the return of, uh, under Ezra. You know, again, there, here's a great message here in the book of Ezra. Those, though God's people had been brought low and, and disciplined, there was always a remnant there's always a remnant. There's always a faithful group of people. And uh, no, matter, no matter what happens in the world, there's always going to be faithful people who are following the Lord. Let us be that remnant. And God continues through all of this, through all of these thousands of years and all of the disobedience and all of the captivity and all the godlessness and the wickedness, the people, God pre- continues to preserve the lineage of Christ. And the Jewish people are a loudspeaker to the world, to the entire world, about this almighty God. And Jesus is the priest proclaiming freedom. Right after Ezra is Nehemiah, and really we see there that God is the God of the wall. It's a reconstruction time. Rebuild! And the incredible story of the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem, despite all the opposition and attacks. And then there's a great revival in the, among the Jewish people under the leadership of Ezra and Nehemiah. And we see there that Jesus in, we see Jesus in Nehemiah, we see Jesus in Ezra, and uh, we see that He is the rebuilder of the broken walls. He's the rebuilder of the broken people. Then Esther, we see the God of the gallows. God is so seen as preserving His people through this book. It's fascinating that God is, His name is not mentioned in the book of Ezra, the name of God. And yet, you see God's providence throughout the entire book. It's a story of this Jewish 
lady who becomes a queen of Persia and she saves the Jewish people from this evil plot of Haman to destroy them. This is a huge message in the book of Esther. And, and it is that God protected his people even when they're in captivity. And, he, he, and, God, and Jesus is the protector of people. He preserves his people. Amazing, amazing history in the, in the Old Testament. And next in the Bible, after you see all that history, incredible things that God's done, and how, he does, how he's working in every single book of the Bible, we see these books of poetry now that come to life all of a sudden in the Bible. If you're just reading through, all of a sudden there's these books that don't seem to have the same kind of fit with, with everything else. And they're the books of poetry. Uh, before I move on, I want to tell you this. The primary characteristic of biblical poetry, and the reason they call it poetry, is that it has parallel structure. There's other, there's other parts of it, but it has parallel structure or couplets, some people have called it. And here's what that means. It means that there are two thoughts that are placed in relationship with each other that either support it or are in contrast. So it's one statement, and then it's a second statement that are coupled together. And it's, 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 a, it's a way of, of poetry. And that second statement is either going to support that first statement or it's going to be in contrast to that first statement. And you see it all over Psalms and you see it all over Proverbs. Now, why do I mention that? Because I think it's, it's powerful when you realize that. It's like taking a diamond and looking at it from this side and then turning over and looking at it from this side, then turning over and looking at it from this side. Poetry provides a whole new way to look at history or a whole new way to look at what God has done. It's not just, it's not just one, it's not just the, uh, just, just the facts. It's a beautiful way to look at it. For example, Psalm 51. Let me give you Psalm 51, verse 1. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness. That's the first statement. Now look at the second statement. It supports it. According unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. It's two ways to say a very similar thought. Verse 2 does the same thing. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. That's two ways to look at the exact same thought. Number three, same thing. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. There's, when you read the Bible, you, you can look at it just one way and just read it through. And there's a fact. Now, David could have just said, God, I sinned, I'm sorry. No, David, this is after the sin of Bathsheba and, and with Uriah, and he writes this, and he pours out his heart in, in a way of poetry that looks at all different sides of this thing. And it unfolds a whole new beauty and a whole new understanding to God and to truth. It helps, by the way, Psalms, Proverbs, especially the Psalms, helps us get in touch with not just our thoughts and our, our uh, intellectual uh, parts of us, but, but also our heart, the emotions. Uh, that's what's so beautiful about, about the Psalms. So next time you read it, get more out of it by meditating on the couplets. They're there, and they describe so many beautiful things about the Lord. Job is a book of poetry, really. There's a story that begins. Everybody can identify in some way with the book of Job. He loses all his possessions, his family, his health. His three friends then start to pile on and convince him that this was all due to sin in Job's life. There's a lot of dialogue between Job and his friends in the book of Job. 
But in the end, God vindicates Job and restores his prosperity. By the way, this offers, the book of Job offers amazing insight into the unseen world and uh, gives, gives a voice to those who are suffering. And we see Jesus in the book of Job. We see him as the mediator between God and man. An amazing, uh, amazing picture of Jesus Christ there. Then there's the Psalms, of course, which is, we see the God of praise. Psalms is a collection of 150 songs that, uh, for Israel. David wrote half of them, but I want you to look at this. There are other writers are Moses, Solomon, Asaph. But there are eight types of hymns, right, Psalms. Uh, different classifications, hymns, laments, thanksgiving psalms, psalms of confidence, psalms of remembrance, wisdom psalms, kingship psalms, and imprecatory psalms. Imprecatory <laughs> psalms are those psalms that are, uh, Lord, kill that person. <laughs> Lord, <laughs> you know, anyway, it gets pretty brutal in there. I've been reading some recently. <laughs> And with the elections and everything, it's really uh, helping me in my prayer time. But, <laughs> but, uh, but, but there are so many beautiful uh, psalms, and I would, just, I would just say live in the book of Psalms. The deep, deep power of this book. It's a place to stop, soak it all in. Selah, as the book of Psalms says often. Jesus is our song in the morning and at night. This is a huge song book that God put right in our, our Bibles. Book of Proverbs, a powerful book about practical wisdom. It's mostly written by Solomon to his son Rehoboam. By the way, that fact alone, I love this, that fact alone that we would have a book of practical wisdom in our Bibles uh, from a father to a son shows me that God intends for fathers to have ongoing wisdom conversations with their children. I think it's a responsibility of dads to to keep on the wisdom train and to keep the conversation going. It's this book that, that, uh, that we have that can start the conversation anywhere in any kind of practical situation you find yourself in. Jesus is the picture of wisdom here. Ecclesiastes is the God of purpose. Uh, the theme there is that all is vanity apart from God. The book of Ecclesiastes is written by Solomon, a fascinating book. It's from the perspective, though, of a natural man who finds no pleasure or purpose in this whole life. The point is that the natural man concludes and is always going to conclude that all is vanity. But the conclusion for the spiritual man at the end of this book of Ecclesiastes is this. Remember now the Creator in the days of thy youth. And as he ends, and fear God and keep his commandments. Again, it's a poetic way to explore the deep questions that everybody's asking. Why am I here? What's the purpose of my life? What's the purpose of me? Why do I exist? It, it's, a, it's a way to, uh, to really see those things in light of what God would say. And ultimately, we see the picture that unfolds that Jesus is the meaning for life. Song of Solomon is the theme of love and marriage there. God is a God of passion. It's a love song. It's written by Solomon. Describes the love of a bridegroom and his bride. Lots of romance in this little book. Uh, there, in fact, young single Jewish boys were not allowed to read this book because it was it spoke graphically of married love. And uh, interesting that God would put that. God wants married couples uh, to enjoy one another. The song honors marriage. The song honors wedded love. And it really, ultimately, though, pictures Christ. It pictures Christ and His love for His bride. The church. Jesus is 
the loving bridegroom. Let's not forget that. Lamentations, now this is not in order. Lamentations actually falls a little bit later, but because it's a a book of poetry, we're going to include it here. The theme is lament. After the city of Jerusalem was taken and taken captive by Babylon, Jeremiah, the prophet, wrote this song of sorrows. And yet in this book, he records that God is faithful. God is faithful. And uh, the beautiful thing that unfolds, I think, in the book of Lamentations is that God, Jesus is the one who takes God's wrath for us. Uh, incredible books of poetry. But now we're going to move to the books of prophecy. We're going to roll through these quickly. But six, there are 16 prophetic books in the Old Testament, and they make up the last section of the Old Testament. The first four are considered major prophets. The, the last 12 are minor prophets. But that's only due to their length, not that they were... These guys are major good. These guys are minor. Um, the prophets, they ministered during the times of the kings, through the exile, the return to, from exile. By the way, that's when a chronological Bible might come in kind of handy. You're reading through the kings, you kind of see which prophet prophesied at which times. That's very helpful. And uh, that's also you can access a timeline and look at that as well. But these, are, these books, the prophet, prophetic books, are some of the most dramatic and vivid of the entire Bible. Uh, the prophets communicate on an intellectual level, but also on a heart level, so that you see God's mind and heart. Uh, God wants us, to, through the prophets, He wants us to, to see how God feels about His people, and how God feels about their adultery, their spiritual adultery, and their idolatry. How God feels about those things. God has feelings. God has feelings. That's why you and I have feelings. But if you take time and energy to read the prophets, you're, you're going to draw closer to the, to the Lord. I promise you. You'll get to know more clearly how God thinks and, how, and who God is. So, real quick, Isaiah. It is, this is the God of glory. The theme in Isaiah is salvation. The prophecies, they, they're about Christ, His kingdom. Isaiah had more to say about Messiah than any other prophet. Some people call him the evangelical prophet because of chapter 53. Chapter 53 in Isaiah is the clearest presentation of the gospel in the entire Old Testament. It shows the death of Jesus Christ right there on the page before it ever happened. And with 66 chapters in the book of Isaiah, it has more chapters than any other Old Testament book except Psalms. We see that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Then there's Jeremiah, the, the weeping prophet. Uh, there's a lot of judgment in the book of Jeremiah, prophecies concerning the captivity of Judah, sufferings. Uh, he wept for his fellow Israel. He was also hated. You know, Jeremiah severely persecuted uh, by his own people for, for prophesying a, an unpopular message. But uh, we know that we, have, we, we need to do the same. Jesus is our weeping prophet. Ezekiel, there's a God of visions. There's messages of warning, comfort to the Jews while they're in their captivity. You know, the Babylonians, they carried Ezekiel away when he was a young man. And yet God, yet Ezekiel still had a connection with the Lord and, and God gave him these messages. Ezekiel was known, though, to act out his messages in a weird and sometimes unusual ways. He laid on his side for many, many days. He dug a hole in the wall. There's other things. Strange things in the book of Ezekiel, but powerful spiritual truths. Daniel, amazing book, The Sovereignty of God. The, the, uh, there are these series of prophecies about Jesus and the end times was just amazing. Uh, 
You know, also there's a man here, an example of a man who stands up in a very, very wicked uh, culture, uh, a Babylonian culture. For us today, what an example, no matter what culture we live in, to be able to stand like Daniel. Uh, what a great, great example. But Jesus, we see in the, this book that Jesus is the stranger in the fire with us. Minor, the minor uh, prophets begin with Hosea. And the, the amazing book of Hosea, prophecy relating to Christ, latter day, you know, he, Hosea fell in love with Gomer. He married her, but she was unfaithful. She became a prostitute and ended up being sold on the slave market. And Hosea goes out there and he buys her back. A picture of God's redemption and Jesus' redemption for us, buying us back. Jesus is the faithful husband we see in Hosea. And Joel, we see the day of the Lord there. Time of judgment from the Lord. He, he, he has a prophet that prophesies blessing, but also prophesies restoration. He talks about also the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And so he, we see that Jesus is the one who, out, who pours out the Holy Spirit. The book of Amos, there's a prediction that Israel and other neighboring nations will be punished. Amos was a farmer. He was a herdsman. And he was called by God to prophesy. Don't let anybody say that I can't uh, be used by God. Everybody, God is called. He often uses these, this phrase, for three transgressions and for four. Which means that there is sin multiplied upon sin in our nation. And he's calling people back to truth. Jesus is our burden bearer. Obadiah, uh, prediction of the desolation of Edom. People of Edom were descendants of Esau. They lived in the red rock cliffs around Petra. This is the shortest book in the Old Testament. We see that Jesus is judge and savior. Then there's Jonah, the God of compassion. Uh, Nineveh, he, boy, the cruelest city of the old, of ancient cities. Incredible story of God's grace, though, how he forgives those Gentiles in Nineveh. Jesus is the greatest missionary. Micah, he talks about divine judgment. He, uh, Micah, one of those bold prophets, very, very bold prophets, who confronts the rich, the, the prophets, the priests, the religious leaders, the judges for their corruption. He states right in their face. Uh, interesting, Micah uses uh, Hebrew puns a lot to prophesy. So we can use puns too for the Lord's glory, right? Jesus is the ruler of the world from Bethlehem. He predicts that the ruler will come from Bethlehem. The Messiah will come from Bethlehem. Nahum, prediction of the downfall of Assyria and uh, you know, Assyria was used as a disciplining tool for, on Israel, but now it's a serious turn for judgment. The wicked nation. Again, seeing how God is sovereign of all nations. Uh, don't we need that right now? We need to understand that God is sovereign. He knows what He's doing. Jesus is our stronghold. Habakkuk. Prediction, uh, or uh, this debate Habakkuk had with <laughs> wondering why God was judging Judah for their sin, uh, but you're allowing Babylon Babylon's worse than Judah. Why would you do that? And God said, oh, don't worry. I'll be punishing Babylon too. And uh, Habakkuk was a watchman for his people. He was really struggling, trying to figure out what God was doing. Zephaniah, the God of judgment, the great day of the Lord. He talked about vivid descriptions there of the tribulation period. Jesus is our warrior who saves. Haggai, the God of renewal. He talked about the rebuilding of the temple. And prophesied to people, hey, why are you people 
The temple is lying in disrepair, but you went home and you just rebuilt your houses and your land. You made them all pretty, but God's house is in disrepair. What's going on with you people? That's Haggai. And uh, an and amazing uh, restoring uh, thing that took place there. And Jesus is our restorer. And Zechariah, God of restoration, prophesies, uh, prophecies, excuse me, relating to the rebuilding of the temple, the Messiah. Then Malachi, as he ends, we end the book of Old Testament. He end, he. All this ritualism, ritualism the people were into. Uh, he said, "This is ridiculous. It's it's become our. It's become too ritualistic. Uh, we need to get back to the heart of what this is really all about. Prophecies relating to the calling of the Gentiles, the coming of Christ, and and John the Baptist. Even we see in the book of Malachi that Jesus is the Son of Righteousness. He's called." Now, real quick, that was a very, very fast look at all the incredible books of the Old Testament. And, and I uh, provided you with the themes there. And, and if, but if you want a full, with all these little bullet points, you want to see all of that, then uh, just let me know. I, I have created a PDF form uh, of that, and I can just email the whole thing to you. And if you, you can use it as a study tool as you go through, have it next to, okay, here's the theme, here's the theme, here's the general idea. As I read through the Bible. Now, real quick, I'm always blown away at how God is so wise when I look at the whole Bible like that. I see it all put together. There's nothing like the Bible in the entire world. There's nothing like this book. And it continues to change lives and give mankind the truth. And it changes our life when we read it. It's not just a bunch of facts. It's a life-changing, life-transforming book. And every ounce of effort that we put into reading one of, the, one of these prophets or every ounce of effort, every day that we unfold a little more of the Bible, it's worth it. A man named William McPherson knew how important the Bible was. He was a superintendent at a stone quarry, and one day a blast severely injured him. He lost his eyesight. He lost both hands in the explosion. But he was determined to continue to read the Bible. The one thing he wanted in his mind was the Word of God. And so he learned how to read Braille with his tongue. And it's said that William McPherson read through the entire Bible four times before his death, just using his tongue, going every little letter over every little letter in the Braille alphabet. And as I close this morning, I just want to say shame on us for putting more effort into making the word of not into making the word of God, not making the word of God a part of our life. Shame on us for putting the Bible aside and letting it get dusty on the shelf. If we we need to read that word and love that word, we need to put as much effort as we can into knowing the word of God. Let's make it a part of our life. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We thank you for your word.